how do we get to the place where, you know, Putin decides he's going to just invade Russia? Nothing like this has happened since World War II. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve... Welcome back to the Ruthless Variety program. Big week in front of us here, fellas. Big week. It's the first of all, it's the run up to Hack Madness. That's yeah. right. Lots of folks have been asking about Hack Madness. Um, well, for number one, for folks who don't know, uh, I started this kind of annual tournament, just like March Madness, of course, for college basketball, which has sixty-four teams, sixty-five. There's a play-in. We would do the same thing with uh, media hacks of like who is the greatest media hack. And uh, it's been, you know, we, all the voting is done on Twitter. It's been incredibly popular. Uh, I always love to see which journalists get pissed off at me. Sometimes they send, like, a mean DM. Oh, yeah, we get the heavy like, DMs I can't on believe one. you think I'm a hack when, like, they're the biggest hack out there. I know exactly um, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, folks love it. It's going to be back this year, bigger and better than ever. So, but, but what people have to know is that there's a, it's a science. This isn't just, yeah. we're just not missive, uh, dismissive about how you qualify for this. You know? We take like, this very seriously. We take it very, very seriously. And like, you know, I was talking with some folks in the show today and we were saying like, you know, ordinarily Taylor Lorenz, who was a high seed last year, would have been out of this year's tournament. But over the weekend, she took a real shot to get back in the game. Yeah, I saw, I mean, it, there was this great head-to-head apparently going on between Maggie Haberman over at the New York Times calling out Taylor Lawrence for... Basically, her bullshit. Like, yeah. You know, it's just like every everyone in journalism uh, is, is sick of Taylor. Pretty much every industry <laughs> is, is sick of, of Taylor. But but uh, she's been silent for the better part of a year. And then she reemerged in a Twitter argument about journos owning a brand and being a brand. And I don't know. Apparently, this is very offensive to journos. Whatever the case may be, she started a little mini eruption. I was like, oh, interesting. The timing. Interesting the timing. She wants to play her way in. Yep. Maybe. Yep. Yeah, she was a number one seed last yeah, year. Yeah, and I don't think she would have made the tournament, but now we're going to have to take a look. Look, the audience is in for a real treat this year because the pageantry around this tournament oh, yeah. has only grown. It has. It has. And we'll have more going. We'll have more announcements on that. First off, today's show, we have uh, Arizona Attorney General Mark Burnovich on the program. He is uh, running for Senate, one of the front runners there. Um, so a big interview. We continue our quest to have all of the high-profile candidates across the country on the program before their their primaries. So look forward to that. And we also have a very special sponsor, it's Heritage Action for America. Um, they're awesome all the time, and we always welcome them as a sponsor. But a really sort of important topic that they're talking about. Smug, I know this one floats your boat. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's great that they jumped aboard to sponsor the show at this time. Uh, and it's a topic that has been pissing me off. And I, I teed off on um, about this. It's folks, the White House uh, claim has been teasing an announcement on potentially extending uh, the pause on student loan payments. Um, pause on student loans. So it's basically not a loan. But, but I mean, here's the thing is uh, you have to just look at the data. So the tweet that I had put out earlier is. Uh, I said it's completely insane to extend the student loan moratorium. 75% of student loans are held by the richest 20% of Americans. 
Just 4% of student loans are held by low-income households. I said, this is coastal elite libs wanting taxpayers to fund their idiot kids' woke adult daycare. Oh, yeah. That's what this is. It's <laughs> like, yeah. hey, I sent my kid to Columbia to major in, like, you know, uh, oppressive history of basket weaving, you know? And yeah. and it costs 80000 a year. So why shouldn't the so American taxpayer up. pay for it, you know? If you're, if, if you're, if you're you know, uh, just a working class American, you're now expected to foot the bill for some dumb kid who picked a major that has no future career in at some like Ivy League school, you're paying for that? That's an outrage. Well, That's so ridiculous. On that piece of it, the Brookings Institute did a, a study and they found that those who would benefit from wiping out student debt are, quote, higher income, <laughs> better educated, and more likely to be white. Wow. Compared to other social spending beneficiaries. Wait, so is the Biden administration doing a little bit of white supremacy? Here? Oh, it looks like it might be. I think they need to check their privilege. It might need to check I their mean, privilege. Th- 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 that's the thing is that this is, it's pretty transparent what's going on here is this is 100% political. They see that their numbers are sinking. Right. And and, and now the Democrat Party, it, you know, it's not a working class party at all anymore. They The, the working class is zero concern to them. Done. Okay, gas prices. Look at grocery prices. Now they're trying to basically have a bailout for them and all their buddies. Yeah. You know, this is who's affected by, by, by these massive student loans. It's it's these people who have run up these insane debts on majors at, at Ivy League schools, and they want working class people to pay for them. The Democrats control the House, the Senate, and the White House. Why don't they try to introduce a bill? Why is yeah, Joe Biden trying to unilaterally they can't, they can't get it done. Exactly. You're, you're right. I mean, this is a payoff to their voting base, which is increasingly just coastal elites, coastal elites. white coastal progressive elites. Right. So, but this is not a cost-free endeavor no. to anyone, right. right? It's $5 billion a month that this thing costs. <laughs> it's unbelievable. And if you want to talk about how all these things sort of come work together to all the economic problems that we have, the inflation is, is the network, right. right? Inflation, all of these democratic social organizing programs all come together and, and the one thing that they have commonality at is flushing cash into a system that ultimately relate it's seven and a half percent a year in inflation. Right. Right. So, I mean, when you think about why you're paying more for meat, for potatoes, for everything, gas and everything else, it's stuff like this. It's not disconnected. It's not in an isolated education bucket. It's about flushing five billion dollars a month into the American system. And it costs something. And ultimately, the taxpayers and families across this country are the ones that pick up the bill. I mean, notice they never try to propose some sort of like an income tax moratorium. It's more like spending. All their all their plans are like, how can we burn more money totally. on our agenda here? Like, this is another Build Back Brandon type of garbage. Like, this has nothing to do. This is not going to help Americans recover. This is not going to create jobs for Americans. This is not going to bring down gas prices. It's, not, it's going to do the exact opposite. This is going to push more inflation into the system. And, and and the whole thing is that, so Democrats woke up, they saw the polling, they're like, oh shit, you know, Americans are moving on from COVID. Uh, it's time to start dropping mask mandates. We're going to get, you know, absolutely shellacked in the midterms. So if they're saying COVID is over, 
you know, they're saying, okay, working class people, you can go back to work in your factories, but hey, you know, rich white kid with your student loans, nah, it's cool. You can still vacation a little bit. Right. Longer. There's, yeah. there's like, the, this is unbelievable. There's some, co- there's some cognitive dissonance to that, right? The Biden administration saying, oh, we created six million jobs because we let people go back to work, yeah. but the rich kids still can't pay their student yeah. loans. Yeah. 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 Oh, weird. Oh. Weird. <laughs> but you know what has the reason that this is the biggest hobby horse for me, and I've been talking about this for literally decades is the Democrats' approach to higher education is entirely the most corrupt thing you can ever think of on this planet. They own it lock, stock, and barrel. Everything from the faculty to the to the the very organization of these universities, whether they're state or private or anything else, they own it soup to nuts. The one thing that nobody ever talks about is why it is that it costs so goddamn much to go to school. Right. Mm -hmm. Right? Why is it that every the solution to this is always to put more money into the system and have taxpayers put more money into the liberal hands? It is never, ever at any point been a question of, you know, what does it really cost $60,000 a year to send my kid to a liberal arts school? It's unbelievable. For what? And, and, right. and, and, and what's the correlation between getting that degree and actual success? What's the ROI you get for that degree? Bingo. Right? We don't have that conversation. The answer is always, well, just it's higher education. we got to spend more money. $40,000 a year as a freshman to redo your senior year of high school. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And then, but then the, to add insult to injury is a lot of these Ivy League schools then have these massive endowments. Massive. Billion dollar endowments. At no point does any of that money go back into the system for the kids. Right. None of it. Right. It's all about trying to raise tuition to get a little bit more payment to the faculty, payment to the, all the whack job studies and departments and insane things that They're are making this country become, nuts. Uh, like the, the educational the higher education system in this country has basically become like the petri dish of brainworm ideas that they want to push on Americans like it is what they're coming up with like all this like critical race theory it all came from from these like nut job professors and now it's out there in the mainstream getting pushed to to children yeah right. you know this is how they're they've got their grasp on the system and they want to keep having they want taxpayers to foot the bill for this is it's it makes how about zero ins- sense. how about instead of canceling student debt we cancel endowment tax-free endowments hell yeah, yeah. how about That's that now we're talking right how about we tax the shit out of that because honest this is like one of my favorite things yeah <laughs> i mean it is i love it, it so much it is we i mean it makes absolutely no sense but it is consistently the most hypocritical progressive thing that they do right it's oh man i could talk for hours about it. anyway thank you heritage action for dealing with all of this as tom cotton says it's a wealth transfer from the poor to the rich and yeah everyone everyone out there should call your senators you know your members of congress and, and make some noise about this because the message needs to come across loud and clear like working class americans are not going to pay for a bunch of entitled kids to go to college and now they can just have an endless vacation and not have to pay for it. Totally. That's not happening. Totally. Uh, should we do some five stars? Absolutely. Uh, who wants to start? Duncan, you want to start with one? I'll go first. Uh, the title here is Just a Girl with an Earpod. I need claim to fame as my ringtone. <laughs> Seriously, I get stuck. I get stuck in my head every time I hear it and I love it. My phone would never be on silent again. I'm from so- southeastern Indiana. Oh, a Hoosier. Yeah. Yay. Hey, there you oh, I adore all the fellas in Hen, but Smug is my favorite. Uh, this is my absolute Me favorite too. podcast. <laughs> he's, he's, he's his own favorite. Um, I make everyone at my work listen to you guys every Tuesday and Thursday, even though I have a couple of riding with Biden douches <laughs> who have tried to drown it out, but 
I got me a bigger speaker just so I can blast Ruthless, and I would every day if I could keep up the good work. And thank you for making this insanity bearable. I love that. That's fantastic. That's great. I love, I love that she has a speaker. Yeah, that she has a Goes song in, in work. <laughs> no, she's headphone. just like trolling them at work. That's great. <laughs> Everything but the smug blast is uh, is is certainly right. Uh, what do you got in the next one, pal? So this is from Go Dogs One Two Three. It says owning the libs on college campus. Best place for it. Uh, it says, I'm a college student taking a political propaganda <laughs> class, which, exactly as you right. can imagine, aren't they all, though, yeah. these days? Every class on campus. Uh, I'm a college student taking a political propaganda class, which, as you can imagine, is filled with endless brainworm takes from my teacher and classmates. The program has recently discussed cognitive dissonance a few times. Just did. Oh, wow. Mr. Duncan. A few times, which is something we've learned about in class. Thanks to the fellas for giving me a few examples of this that I can use during class to own the libs. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, well, now you, you got do. another one. Now you got another one. <laughs> now you got another one. Uh, this last one, enjoying Netflix. Cash. You had Cash Patel, my fave, who's not afraid to speak the truth. Love all your funny commentary on everything you all discuss. And I did Google Hank the Tank. That bear or monster or whatever the heck it is, is monstrous. You're 100% right about that. Absolute hero. But he's also innocent. <laughs> Fellas, I got one more five star. Oh, is it? It's got to be about Ashbrook. Well, uh, it indeed it is. <laughs> and, and this is this is as much an op-ed as it is a five-star review. I've got to tell you, it's probably 250 words. Unbelievable. But, about, about you? But let me, just, let me just get to the key graph here. This is from... <laughs> This is from C. Sweeney 10. This is a five-star review. Is it your mom? Titled Extremist like, Monsters. This is from J. Ashbrook 10. <laughs> About Ashbrook. While I should have penned a five-star review long before now, this past week made it so I couldn't hold my tongue any longer. The disrespect shown to Ashbrook over his affinity for the team. It's that, his mom. That won the AFC champion. <laughs> Two defeated both the Broncos and the Vikings, and three, whose city has buildings larger than 12 stories, <laughs> prompted me to speak out against the baseless attacks on such an integral member of the ruthless team. Keep doing what you're doing. Who day? Keep the faith. Hold the line. Own the libs. P.S. A live show in Southwest Ohio should be in the cards. I, I couldn't agree with you more, C.S. Sweeney. Couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I agree. Ashbrook's an integral part of the team. Everyone needs, you know, like production staff. <laughs> Unbelievable. You know, hey, Smug, could you, could you tweet something real fast for the show? Yeah. You, you need somebody to tweet for us. We need somebody to tweet. Hey, Twitter man, do your Twitter thing. God, that's awesome. All right, so let's start with a just a rare little glimpse of good news into what's happening with the Russia-Ukraine conflict, full of heartbreak, full of terrible things. Anybody who's been watching the news is just heartbroken about this. But today we got some good news. Adidas is closing its stores in Russia and suspending online sales. I mean, that's, that's like going to break the back. The tracksuits. Yeah. I think the, the conflict is over soon, <laughs> fellas. I mean, have you ever seen anybody with more of an affinity for Adidas tracksuits than your average? Never. It's like, like the wildest thing. It's, it's like everybody over there's run DMC. <laughs> <laughs> Zoomers who, who are listening are going to have to Google that. But. <laughs> but it's truly pretty amazing, right? I mean, I have no idea where that came from. Like culturally, it's like, they just love the Adidas tracksuits. Oh, look, I get it. I mean... War crimes and tracksuits. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely incredible. All right, so the big the big segment that we're getting into this week, because we have to, and because you get no real information outside of the Variety program, honestly, 
is this oil crisis. Now, everybody knows who's filled up their tank, the astronomical prices. We got a, t- a text, Ashbrook, we got a text from a buddy in California just a, a few hours ago. It was like 547 or yeah. something like that, yeah. a gallon. And in Nevada, it's closing in on six bucks. Holy cats. I mean, that's just absolutely unbelievable. So we thought we would go back and kind of look through all the policies that have helped get us to this place, right? And make sense of why it is that it's happening. This is not, as the mainstream media would lead you to believe and the Biden administration would lead you to believe, something that has occurred entirely in a vacuum because of the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. This has been a year and a half in the making. Right. And and they're desperate to retcon this entire thing and say, oh, well, gosh, it's the Ukraine crisis. Now you're a patriot for paying more in gas. No, that's right. You know? Yeah, no, yeah, this is this is what you can do for your country. Right. Basically. Which right. is complete insanity. Complete insanity. And the people asking this, like I, I saw some celebrities trying to push this idea, is like, you asshole. Like the, the, the high gas prices is essentially just a tax on the working class. That's what it is. Yeah. They're the ones who have to foot the bill for this. So maybe if you're in like Beverly Hills, yeah, it's not a big deal. But for folks who drive to work every single day right. and help put food on your table. Right, the like, people who haven't been on Zoom for two years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, like, don't, they don't have to fill up their Uber. It's <laughs> somebody else's job. I mean, it's insane that they're like, this is your patriotic duty? How crazy is that? And like the suggestion that some people had is like, oh, well, you know, you can't blame a president for gas prices. You absolutely can. When this one, may, this president, their number one objective when they got into office was to shut down the Keystone Pipeline. They did it day one. They crippled America's energy independence day one. By design. That's a fact. That was their decision to make. And now they're willing to be like, oh, uh, you see Joe Biden, he's going to Saudi Arabia to beg? Well, so this is, this is where it all becomes very clear, right? It's not enough to shut down the Keystone Pipeline, to stop other, other pipeline uh, uh, productions in this country. It's not enough to ban leases on federal lands and to basically shut down the production of oil and gas in this country altogether. That's not enough, right? They then take the demand, which is obviously still out there, and try to fill it by going to other countries, right? Russia, which still imports an inordinate amount of oil and gas into this country. Remember, they didn't under the Trump administration. We were entirely energy independent. They did not import. They do now, right? So Murkowski and Manchin have a bipartisan bill in the Senate that would ban oil and gas imports into this country. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yes, it's going to be a problem with supply, but that will put more pressure on Democrats to open up federal gas leases and everything else because Lord knows they can't take the political pressure once consumers across this country are demanding it, right? Imagine like the political pressure to create jobs for Americans. Yeah, think of it. You have to pressure them. It's like you're going to be forced to have Americans get these jobs. How, what, it's unbelievable. Yeah, oh no, right? <laughs> right. The reality they're like, is, we can't do that. <laughs> guys, guys, the reality is they're pushing for a good reason. There is a lot of energy to be had in this country. Can I read you a headline from the LA Times yeah. just a few years ago? Here's the headline. The U.S. now has bigger recoverable oil reserves than Saudi Arabia or Russia. That oh, is the God. LA Times. The LA Times? That's the LA Times. It's based on a study that was done in 2016. That said that the U.S. is sitting on 264 billion barrels, 8 Jeez. billion more than Russia, 52 billion more than Saudi Arabia, according to this uh, energy uh, respected oil and gas consulting firm from Oslo. So this is not uh, this is Oslo. not yeah this is not a, an oil company in America. The Norwegians get a good eye for that kind of thing. Well, they they are a third party objective uh, observer. Salt of the earth stock. Um, but where this gets 
truly clear in my view is it's not just about the Russian imports that the Biden administration, I, I should mention, opposes that bipartisan piece of legislation. And even Nancy Pelosi said we ought to ban Russian imports, not the Biden administration. They want to keep that. But then over the weekend, they start meeting with Venezuela, which, of course, we've had huge uh, stoppage of imports from Venezuela under Maduro. We won't go into all of that. But like there's a real issue, a national security issue within our own hemisphere for that. And they're in Venezuela talking with them about opening up production and shipping into the United States. And then you read that they're like still dealing with Iran. I mean, this is in Saudi Arabia. Right. The other thing, he's planning a trip. Biden is now planning a trip. Going over there to beg them to produce more oil. Yeah, to go to Saudi Arabia to produce more oil because we don't have it here because we proactively shut our own shit down. Right. Think about that. I mean, the, the image of just this president crippling America's energy independence and going and begging foreign countries to please, can you can you sell more high priced oil to my countrymen, dude? We're, can, can you please make more money and, off of my country and make me dependent upon the whims of your insanity? Can you believe it? And, and it's like he's he's traveling the world. Joe Biden, his administration, they're like, look, we gotta go to all these countries. We gotta find somewhere except for Texas, where we can get oil. <laughs> like, that's their mission. Like, th- it's completely insane. We're, sanct- like, we're sanctioning Russia for the war in Ukraine while simu- simultaneously funding that war by buying Russian oil. It, like, know, like that, that is remarkable. I mean, that's the thing. Is like, like, we could stop tomorrow just by opening up the federal lands for drilling and replace that supply domestically. Yeah. Like the enti- we did. Yes. We the, did it. The entire economy of Russia is built upon... Fossil fuels, like 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 the oil, is how that country can fund, how Putin can fund his war machine, and and the U.S. is like we're going to put sanctions on everything, but we're still going to buy the oil. That's like telling Apple, okay, you know, you can you, you can't sell anything, but you can sell the iPhone. That's like fine. even if like 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 if you took if you took the libs at their word and said, okay, I I I will accept that we have to get rid of fossil fuels, you know, because of the carbon footprint or whatever. <clears throat> Well, if you pump it out of Russia, we all live on the same what planet. What difference does it make? We live on the same planet, right? In fact, their techniques are worse than ours. There are are more yeah, exter- externalities. Yeah, they're not agreements, right? So, so it doesn't make any sense. There's, I mean, they don't have a leg to stand Wait, you're, on. You're telling me they're not abiding by the Greendale and the Paris Accords? <laughs> they don't have Al Gore over there inspecting their their stations. <laughs> and, and, and and you know that's that's a great point because that really does grind my gears because they're saying like, oh no, we don't want to encourage fossil fuels because we're going to move to this you know green future, which is completely incumbent upon the U.S. spending billions, giving billions of dollars to China to bring in these solar panels. And, and look at this hustle that China's got going on where they they can pollute more than anybody. Yes. They don't care about any of these deals that like Greta Thunberg is tricking Joe Biden into uh, like living by and, and crippling American in- energy independence. They get to burn as many fossil fuels as they want in their factories, building these solar panels that they're then selling to America so America can feel good. So so that like Joe Biden and, and, and his cronies can feel like, oh, we're doing a good thing by making America Yet again, more dependent on foreign countries for our energy. It's just, it's just, it's just changing who's getting the cash here. It's either going to go to Saudi Arabia and Russia, or it's going to go to China. 
they don't think that hey maybe the solution is we keep the money and jobs here in America. But then but then what really gets me is pretending to be outraged and and shocked that when one of these very unreliable countries does something very stupid, yeah. and American consumers bear the brunt of the damage that I don't know how this could have happened. Yeah, how could well, this you, have you happened? Well, you made us. I mean, look, be smart about this, people. I don't know. There's a lot of motives for Putin doing what he's doing, all of them bad. But, like, when he took Crimea, it just so happened to be right after they found a whole bunch of fossil fuel deposits in the Black Sea. And there it is, yeah. right? And this is just pushing up from that. This has a lot to do with energy. It has a lot to do with European reliance on energy and now a newfound reliance by America on energy. If you want to stop stupid shit from happening, don't get involved. Mm -hmm. Don't get involved in it. We're now deeply involved in all of this because of the dumb decisions the Biden administration has made. I've got a great solution. Um, I'm calling for a new national service program. Um, All of those rich, uh, white, coastal coastal elites who have student loan debt (laughs) are going to enter into a program uh, to go and pump oil here in the United States. Oh, that sounds terrific. And they're going to complete a year-long internship program. Uh, I assume there'll be a lot of hilarious content out of that I, well, as they I, try to learn how I to I got a couple of guys in Texas I think would be happy to lead these folks. <laughs> I, I just imagine them in the middle, like the Barnett Shale in West Texas, trying to figure it out with their art history degree. <laughs> well, the smart ones would figure out, they're like, there's more money to be made doing right. Anastasia's work here than right. basket And then we'll consider, you know. Take them up to Bakken in North Dakota yeah. in January. <laughs> Enjoy, fellas. See you in a few months. <laughs> and then we'll consider canceling their student loan yeah. for their service to the nation. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So to put a point on this, they not only don't get any of this shit that's happening and they're making the problem worse, but then did you read that they actually, the EPA just came out with a new rule to quote, reduce smog from trucks and other heavy vehicles. I Are mean, you serious? read the room. Perfect. Fellas. Perfect timing. Read the room. I mean, people are, do we have a trucker problem? Yep. Do we have a, a supply chain problem? Yep. Do we have a gas problem? Yep. Oh, perfect timing, fellas. Perfect timing. Great work, Pete. This is this is fantastic transportation management. You know what it reminds me of is last fall when Jennifer Granholm was asked, what's her plan for reducing uh, gas uh, prices? Do we still have that audio? Yeah, I think we do. What is the Granholm plan to increase oil production in America? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that is hilarious. Oh. It's hilarious. So funny, isn't it? It's so funny. Yeah, she's making tons of money off of this like bullshit energy policy this administration has, and she can just laugh at Americans who are paying an arm and a leg for gas. It's unbelievable. Well, just buy an electric car. That's the solution. You I got, mean, can you believe you that? You have like 55 grand or that? something. If you got 55 grand lying around, you can get an electric car. That's and again, that that's, Pete again wants shows you, to do. you how out of touch they are. Like, try buying a car, a used car in this country. You're paying like double. For a used car right now. It's well, insane. You know why? Because you can't. <laughs> First of all, the batteries and the chips are all made in China. Yep. There right? you go. So, so the solution is worse than the problem itself. Like when we're talking about energy independence and you're talking about the price of gas, switching to an electric car makes both worse. It makes it worse. I mean, think about every one of their solutions. If you pay even a modicum of attention to, they make every problem you have worse. And by the way, you know, I'm not a scientist here, but I'm guessing you don't just get batteries at the store. Aren't there components <laughs> in a battery that come from 
uh, war-torn countries. Oh, you're talking about rare earths? Oh, oh, okay. What's that? <laughs> and, and they won't let the U.S. do any mining. They for got rare it. Earth. So like, no, yeah, no, 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 no. They, they're mined out of the, some of the poorest regions of Africa. I'm sure they're paid minimum wage. Right? <laughs> Dude, there's child laborers going there digging in there. These are losing like, limbs. Right. These are toxic materials. So they don't have card check. No, is what you're saying no. <laughs> Can't unionize. Unbelievable. I mean that these people are so out of their damn minds. But the important part, the important takeaway from all of this is it's not happening because one crazy guy in a country a long way away is doing something he shouldn't be doing. It's happening because this president and this administration Yeah, we got a crazy guy doing what he shouldn't be doing too. <laughs> yeah. We got one of those. But it's happening because this administration made you entirely reliant on that guy's decisions, yep. not ours. Yep. Yeah, that's a great point. That's the problem with when you're with losing energy independence. That is it in a nutshell, is when you're now, our country, our people are now, their livelihoods are affected by the whims of a madman. Totally. That's what it becomes, is we've lost any control that we had on policy. And that's also why, why uh, uh, part of why Putin called Biden's bluff, is he was like, you're dependent on me. Why do I have to listen to you? I'm holding all the cards here. Totally. That's why, that's also one of the reasons why Trump had the leverage and he wouldn't have tried this with Trump. Because Trump had the country not dependent on Putin. hundred percent. He, he was he like, I can tell you what to do because like, I don't need you. Yep. Biden's like, well, I need you. I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to keep buying your oil. Meanwhile, Germany's like, I don't know what the 17 year old said. <laughs> 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 right. So the backdrop of all of this is the Biden administration would lead you to believe that they have sort of coalesced the world around all of these sanctions, economic and otherwise, that have created a real problem in Russia. They have. I would argue that they've been slow to the draw on a lot of these, and they've had huge gaping holes in where they're enforcing this and where there's not energy, i.e. most amongst them. But meanwhile, they are also in talks with Russia leading the, the negotiations to reenter an Iran deal. It's just Can you believe this? Did, I mean, one of the gravest mistakes in foreign policy that we've made in a long time, it got thankfully undone by the Trump administration, but the pallets of cash remain. Remember, they de- delivered yep. the pallets well, of Obama's cash. Obama's administration just shipped over cash. To Literally a, pallets of cash. They're trying to get back in that deal. But the worst yet, they're trying to have Russia be the lead negotiator of this deal. <laughs> How the hell does up. that work? You can't make this up. How the hell does that work? Literally, how the hell does that work? I mean, work? it makes such little sense. It makes such little sense that, like, a two-year-old can see how awful an idea this is, and, and the supposed adults are back in charge here. These idiots, who, you know, these adults who are back in charge have done nothing but make living conditions for Americans worse. America's standing globally worse. That botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. Really, just a, a lot of the world lost respect for America. We lost so much stature in that moment. This president has zero respect globally that he's now going around begging countries to help us. How is that America? How's That's the American president? That's what it's come to? McDaniel just pulled up this great stat. It says, um, uh, while, while Joe Biden is flying to uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, going around the world trying to get uh, oil for America, he has not once visited North or South Dakota and only visited Texas once to tour storm damage. Well, that is a that tells you where his priorities are. I mean, it is unbelievable. Why would an American president ever feel more comfortable doing deals and shipping American taxpayer dollars to Saudi Arabia, Venezuela, and Russia 
than and Iran. Are, and, Iran. and Iran, rather than allowing hardworking Americans in North Dakota and Texas and Louisiana and our, all of the places that were were successfully mining to do their jobs, to do and this has nothing to do even with Keystone Pipeline, which is a complete atrocity of a decision. Mm-hmm. None of it. It's just I, I can't it it. This is enough, by the way, to throw every one of their asses out of out of power. A hundred percent. In and of itself. If you did, if you look past immigration, if you look past inflation, if you look past all the things you can't look past, this alone has put our country in a more vulnerable place than almost anything a United States president can do. It's not going to get better. Have you have you seen what these oil traders are saying? Where prices are going to go this summer? Yeah, there's, I, I there's, saw this. There's a, there's a lot of options actions going pricing. Uh, there's bets being placed that oil's going to hit 200 a barrel. I mean, this oh, is get, we're, we're getting ready for all time highs. That's what this administration has done. When you cripple America, it hurts us domestically. It hurts. It hurts the world globally. A weak America is not good for the planet. And I'm not talking about you have to put boots on the ground. I'm talking about when America is is independent and can't be swayed by madmen. That makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Putin didn't try this with Trump in office. He can do it when Biden has crippled America. Ugh. So. Look, we know that Ukrainians are badasses because we've been watching what's been happening and it's it, incredible stories all around. But have you seen this story about this India doctor stranded with the jaguar and the panther? I have not. I'm looking at it now. So this is from the BBC. For more than a week, an Indian doctor in war-torn Ukraine has been holed up in his basement at home with his big pet cats, a black panther and a jaguar. What? <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How do you pronounce this guy's name? So it looks like uh, Girakumar Bato, who bought the two cats. Oh, this is amazing. He bought the two cats from the Kiev Zoo. Wait, he bought the cats number from the one, zoo? Number one. I didn't even know you were allowed to do that. Number one, I, I got an idea. I don't think there are a lot of rules in Ukraine right now. I got an idea for what we should do with the money from our sponsorship today, folks. <laughs> Mr. Patil. We got to get these. We, we, we got to get some animals out of the Kiev Zoo. Like, this is a rescue mission, and it could be entertaining. So so he's lived uh, over six years in this small town that's located in the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine. After the war began, he, uh, he, <laughs> he moved into his basement and used all of his money to buy fat food for the cats. A male jaguar is 20 months, and the female panther is six-month-old cub. Uh, I, you know, here's the problem. Those things are growing up. So these numbers are, are, are amazing. So it says so far he's bought 20, it says 23 kilograms of sheep, turkey, and chicken. Quick math, that's like 2.2, 26, so roughly 50 pounds. 50 pounds of sheep, turkey, and chicken from neighboring villages at prices four times higher than normal. For, For the cats. My big cats, this is a quote, my big cats have been spending nights in the basement with me. There's been a lot of bombing happening around us. The cats are scared. They're eating less. I can't leave them. Oh, what a hero. I mean, what a hero. He's, he's doing he's doing some some great work out there. It's going to be a great story until the cats eat Mr. Patel. I, well, I think, that you know, he's got a great. Uh, he, he's right. Got, I just I know the end of this for, story. For a civilian, he's got a great, you know, uh, kind of like a defense system in place for if if Russian troops make it to his doorstep. Yeah. He's like, all right, well, you know, just visit the basement. I think I got some guns down there. Yeah. Well, you know, when we covered the meth squirrel. Yeah, the guy who had trained an attack squirrel. Yeah, there you maybe go. that's what he's doing here. Oh, so I, I mean, there's see. no better defense system than well, the they game thought Molot- panther and a jaguar. Yeah, they thought the Molotovs were bad. Wait till they <laughs> yeah. get a load of Mr. Patel's panther. <laughs> that thing's coming at you. 
in other animal news, have you followed this parachuting spider issue in, in invading Florida? No, this is horrific. This is terrifying. Oh my gosh, it's a Joro spider. Uh, this is uh, according to WFLA. Joro spider, a species with its home in various parts of Asia, first arrived in the United States in 2013. Um, but according to the uh, previous publications, their travels are now ballooning or parachuting. Their webs, it, they're basically dropping onto people as oh they walk God. around Florida. It says the spiders are about the size of a human hand. Ah! These are a size of a human hand. Oh, can you imagine? So it says an orb weaver species, where the hell that is? They let wind carry them. They build like little parachutes and just like... Their webs are like parachutes and then they just people. sail around onto people. It's like a flying squirrel. This thing sounds... Oh. This sounds Completely insane. It says, the Joro spider is native to Korea, China, Taiwan, Japan. The huge yellow, blue, black, and red spiders cover their environments in webbing. Oh, oh, God. This is, I mean, I... Burn it. I, 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 I would Google image a picture of this thing, but I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. I'm, it I'm looking at it right now. I'm curious. Is it horrific? What kind of, what kind of look are you, we got here? I mean, it looks terrifying. Do they have one, like, on a person? I mean, look at this thing. Oh, with the striped. The, oh, no, the, it's terrible. It's like if there's ever been something that clearly looks poisonous, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it looks. It's J-O-R-O. Yeah. J-O-R. J-O-R-O. It's like spider. it's black and yellow striped. Look at legs. the side. The legs look this unbelievably thing looks disgusting. Long. This is <laughs> this is in Florida. Yeah. Well, yeah, now they think that the crawl across the country could go to a full invasion. No. Uh, new, yeah. New research for the uh, University of Georgia suggests the invasive arachnid. Uh, could spread through most of the eastern seaboard of the United States. I say kill these. Just, well, just say, uh, you know, I was just, them. I was just looking forward to spring. Yeah, now you get this thing. I, I would support any system, like you know, I don't know if raid someone can. <laughs> we can do that, like uh, you know, authorization that Trump did to like get factories in America rolling to build masks or this whatever. Would be enough. We get like an authorization for like raid and other like just a bunch of crop things. dusters flying yeah, real low, and right. we just kill these damn things. This is that's the right move. <laughs> like these and all spiders in general. Yeah. You know, the world won't miss these damn things. Oh, they eat other insects though. They're good well, for the. Well, well, I mean, bats do. You know, we get more bats. We can have, maybe we t- teach the. You're bats. trying to get another coronavirus. We, we, we teach Look the bats. You know, we 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 you know give them the vaccine. <laughs> You we, said we boost up the. You bats. send them in a, in a <laughs> you send them in a semi truck to Pennsylvania. <laughs> Crash the semi truck. Oh gosh. Okay. All right. Well, this story's not getting any better. A box of human heads oh was God. stolen in Denver. Jesus. As according to the New York Post, a box of human heads. Intended- this is the New York. I'm so disappointed. This is for the New York Post because they had that uh, famous headline that. What was it? It was a headless body found in topless bar. Is that it? Yes. Yeah. The New York Post could come with something better than box of human heads found. <laughs> they should. I mean, come on, man. Yeah, they phoned it in. They did. They they phoned it in. But a box of human heads, nonetheless, was intended for scientific research and stolen from a medical truck. A lot of truck jackings these days uh, in Denver. Someone broke into the park truck in broad daylight and stole the human remains along with a dolly, according to KVDR in Denver. Um I, can we just talk about <laughs> this? This quote is great. The situation was pretty shocking. <laughs> Resident Isaac Fields told the station. <laughs> well, yeah, dude. <laughs> I mean, for a number of reasons. <laughs> I just want to know, like, who's the dude who's like, he opens up the truck and is, is looking around and he's like, jackpot heads. I mean, what kind of scientific research is this? I want to see. 
can we see what the like address label is? This is like going to like care of Anthony Fauci. We need to know box more. of human heads. Like you, we all know what's going <laughs> no, on. He here. only does dogs. <laughs> he only does dogs. That's right. He forces the puppies yeah. Yeah. to get killed. I'm just like, it needed a dolly. Like that's a lot of human that's, heads. That's a lot. I mean, of they must weigh heads. a lot. Like a human head must weigh. A ton, well, right? as we know from Jerry Maguire, the human head weighs up eight pounds. Does it? That's never, right. I never saw yeah. that damn movie. Yeah, never saw that. I, I learned that in Bees and Dogs Smell Fear, both from the little kid in, uh, <laughs> in, in Jerry Maguire. Eight pounds. Bees and Dogs Smell Fear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so I mean that makes sense. You get, let's say you get you got a dozen heads. That's about a hundred pounds right there. It's a lot of heads. This guy's got a. So what's crazy is why does this guy think he was jacking? Right. He's like. That's what I'm saying. This box is kind of heavy. He takes the dolly too, so he was like not planning. For this sure, this wasn't plotting it. on like I want a, a box of human heads. He was like, let's see what's in the truck. You know, like in California when they're like jacking all the trains. Yeah, he was probably like, let's see what's in this truck. Okay, maybe this is important. But don't you th- imagine you- getting home and he's like, all right, what are we taking to the pawn shop? <laughs> <laughs> the fuck, <laughs> heads, human heads. I mean, that is just shocking. It's, it's like it's like uh, the ending of that. What was that movie? Seven. Like what's, yeah. in oh, yeah. what's, what's in the box? What's in the box? box? It's like what's in the box times ten? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's in the box? Nothing good, pal. Nothing but good. Um, Smug, Hillary Clinton's making a comeback. I am so unsurprised. Like, if there's one person who couldn't get a message, hey, maybe she had ordered the box of human heads. Oh, I mean, she, just saying, folks. Like pra- pra- practicing. <laughs> many people craft. saying. You know, many people saying. <laughs> Into such witchcraft <laughs> things, but she needs the necks for the strangulation. <laughs> parody, 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 laughing, laughing. Uh, absolute parody. It is a good question. Were the heads? Where were the heads taken? Off the shoulders? Or I off think the... if there's a neck involved, she's the prime suspect. If there's a ne- <laughs> parody, parody, parody. We're laughing. But this is so. So Bill Clinton announced the relaunch of uh, the Clinton Global Initiative. You got to be amid kidding the war me. in Ukraine. And what's hilarious is like there there have been so many great uh, statistics. And there's these great graphs that you can find online of the annual amount that was contributed to the Clinton Global Initiative in years that like they were politically viable. That like Hillary was either running for Senate or that right. like Hillary was going to run for president. And it's just like tons of money comes in. Which is just like, it tells you so much about the system. Right. Uh, the way that these libs have set it up of just like, okay, it's a it's a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, just straight up payoff. Yeah, right? just suddenly they're not doing important work anymore the second she's not trying to run for president. Yeah, yeah right. You know, it's important like, work. Yeah, all those millions and millions of dollars just happened to go there while she was running for president. Like, it's it's not influence peddling. It's a real stand-up shop that does important work. But wait till you see the quote. This is such a classic Clintonista quote. They, this is how they roll the thing back out. It consists of a, quote, community of doers <laughs> across a broad section of a, of society attempting to solve the world's most pressing problems. Like, <laughs> how do we rob Haiti? They're like, folks, we got to get the sharpest minds we can to find out how can we rob Haiti. It's like, <laughs> guys, Chelsea's got a wedding come straight, up. Straight out of the mind. Wedding's on the way, and we got to fund it. I think we could go to Haiti and rob it. Who's in? <laughs> <laughs> If I'm a Russian oligarch and I'm trying to get off these sanctions, this is the first place I'm coming. <laughs> Let me tell you that that description is straight. straight that, that description is straight out of the mind of the person who titled Bill Clinton's biography. I mean, he, giving. Oh God! Remember, <laughs> it, 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 and receiving, as it turns out. <laughs> Well, he was Did only we, only. We, we only gotta get the, like the dum on the on the soundboard for situations <laughs> like that. That was killer. Um, if the Clintons were smart, though, they would find some like you know they'd have their gala for this like relaunch of of, of CGI, 
somewhere that's like coastal that they could have a dock mm-hmm. and they'd be like all these Russian yachts registered in like Malta <laughs> that roll up <laughs> and they can fundraise like tens of millions in one night. And they're like, we're doing good work. We're a bunch of doers. Here doers. We're just a bunch of doers doing we're good the things. the finest vodka available tonight. <laughs> There will be absolutely Great no beluga caviar, folks. No trips to Caribbean islands. There's only I a couple you. parking spots left for your yachts. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There it is. There it is. All, right. All right. So dark money update. Smug, I know you love this stuff. Um, but this one really caught my eye because it is a group of, of, I think it's kind of the same dark money stuff that we've been talking about since the beginning of Ruthless. But their targets are Trump lawyers' livelihoods. Right. So anyone who basically defended the president uh, in election claims, this group is going after to attempt to disbar them. Have you seen this? I have not. No, no. no. Yeah. So um, this dark money group of ties, the Democratic Party heavyweights will spend millions this year to expose and try to disbar more than 100 lawyers who work for Donald Trump's post-election lawsuits. People involved with the effort tell Axios that they're bragging about this. Right. The 65 Project, they call it, plans to begin filing complaints this week and will air their ads in battleground airing ads. As if airing ads are going to get <laughs> lawyers disbarred, right? I mean, that tells you exactly what's going on here. But it's it's like David Brock and that whole crowd that, that founded Media Matters and American Bridge, that Democratic super PAC. Like, they're all involved in, in advising this group. And apparently it's going everywhere. But, but like, here, here's my question. If they're very concerned with disbarring lawyers for frivolous election claims, mm-hmm. got to think Elias makes the Mark list. Mark Elias has to be up there. I mean, like, he had tried stealing elections. Literally, he, he asked, tried stealing he, elections. He asked Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic House representatives to override state law in Iowa to not see Mary uh, Miller Meeks. Yep. Days after January 6th, I uh-huh. might add. Days yeah. after January 6th. Also, this guy just, uh, we don't talk enough about this story, but in the run up to the Virginia governor's race, Mark Elias was working for a dark money group that was funded by Dominion Power, by the way, yep. to run uh, ads from like a Facebook page or whatever claiming that Glenn Youngkin was weak on the Second Amendment. Yeah. voter su- Literally voter suppression Incredible. ads. And Mark Elias, the guy who goes on TV every night, you know, talking about how we need we need 60 minutes every night on 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 television talking about how democracy is under assault and he's getting paid by a voter suppression group in Virginia. It's just like next level. The guy is next level, next level. But anyway, if this thing gets off the ground, I want them to, to tell us what their thoughts are on Mark Elias. Obviously, no, <laughs> nobody at Axios. Yeah, I, asked, dude, I fully support this. I fully support this because every dollar donated here buying TV time is one less dollar going to candidate campaigns for Democrats running for the United States well, Senator a, House. That's a great, that's a great. So thing. keep it up, Brock. Keep, great keep work. So you know what dark money update I had is uh, I've mentioned him on, on the show before, Hans-Jörg Viss. The, he's a Swiss national, a billionaire, foreign national, who, who, who spends hundreds of millions of dollars to fund dark money groups here in America to influence elections. These like left-wing dark money groups. Is this the guy the New York Times profiled? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It, it, super sketchy. I mean, this guy's a Swiss national. He's not even an American. Right. And, he, and he's funneling money into these left-wing dark money groups to influence elections. He has now expressed interest in buying uh, that soccer team, Chelsea, uh. um, 
from Roman Abramovich, one of these like Russian oligarchs. Yeah, because because they took the proactive step of eliminating investment by Russian oligarchs in anything in the UK, right? So now it's up for sale. This guy apparently is Yeah. So is, like you're gonna have the guy who's like the sugar daddy for left wing dark money giving, you know, millions if not billions of dollars to a Russian oligarch. Ugh. I mean, how insane is this? The same guy that's trying to meddle in our elections, yeah. and yet and, and nobody's talking about that. Oh, no, 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 no. Of course not. You nobody's can't bring that up. talking about that. Unbelievable. Should we play a game? Let's play a game. Let's play Veep or Veep. Oh, yes. Let's do it. Set that music. Kamala is the Veep. Kamala is the Veep. Kamala is the V. It's been too long since we played this. I like that we can hear the organ here. I mean, we're not going to hear it in the baseball season. Oh, sad. Um, so for our new listeners, people who are maybe not familiar with this game, um, I'm going to read a series of quotes. Um, and it's either going to be from Veep, the, the TV show, the HBO show, um, or it's going to be from our vice president, Kamala Harris. <laughs> and Smug and Josh need to uh, decide which one is Selena Meyer and which one is Kamala Harris. Okay. So we're going to do it like round by round here. Okay. okay? All right. Here's the, first <laughs> here's the first one. That's why we're here today, because we have the ability to see what can be unburdened by what has been. And then to make the possible actually happen. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is absolute nonsense. Is it, so what, what also makes this really tough is Kamal's been on a tear. She's been on a these, tear. these, like, mishmash, meaningless. It's also made this game tough to play because they've been so high profile lately. Like, she's, yeah. had, she's had so many of them that it's like, oh. And we were it's like incepted, like everything stupid now to me is like, yeah, Kamala definitely said that. Totally. And we but we started this game back when nobody was covering this. Yeah. So we like were the these first. quotes. Now everyone's super. everyone's like sort of gets the joke. Now, They're in on it. You know? Yeah. Statement number two. I choose my own outfits, I stay in shape, I make the decisions in my office, and I'm the best multitasker on my team. <laughs> Come on. And statement Number three. We're only doing three this week. I eat no for breakfast. <laughs> oh, my God. Which I don't even understand how that's a positive thing. People say no to you a lot. <laughs> Your ideas suck. All right. I, I think. Smug, you make your choice. I'll turn around. So I'm going to say which one or ones I think uh, were Kamala. Okay, I've transmitted okay. it. Secret ballot. Secret ballot. Let's discuss. All right, so I think that the first one is Kamala because she was doing some, like, green energy event, which I found incredible given the world's state of affairs. And that seems like something that she would say about innovation in general. Like, that's why we're here. There's, like, no specificity at all. She doesn't know shit about what she's talking about, but she's just, like, filled the entire discussion with, pablum that feels very kamala to me i'm really torn i i i have to think that the outfit thing is is selena meyer if only because i feel like 
I feel like I feel like journos do so much work for Kamala Harris that she would never actually have to talk about her own outfits. They would talk about how great they are. You remember famously when uh, was it back when she was running for president? Yes, there was those journos. I think they went LA shopping Times. with her. They went shopping with her and were like, "Oh, you got to buy that jacket." Totally. Like, That's what like stuck in my head. Happens. That's what stuck in my head. So I'm going to say that that two is Veep, and three to me. It just seems like something Kamala would say. She's just so bad. Yeah. I, that, that's Those are my guesses. I mean, it's well because... So I, I, I agree on every single one of those. Number one, I picked... I, I thought it was Kamala because it sounds like one of those, like, mishmash, meaningless things she's been on a tear with lately. Uh, number two, I agreed it was Veep. Uh, number three, I thought this sounds like something stupid that Kamala would say because it's like one of those, like, girl boss, lady boss. Yeah. Kind of like... I'm tough. But yeah, I'm tough. But yeah. it's actually saying nothing. Fight girl. Yeah. It's yeah. it's 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 completely absurd. <laughs> yeah. So number one was Kamala. Number two was, in fact, Selena. Ah. Uh, I thought it was gonna get that was gonna trip you up because of the internal, you know, morale morale problem they've had in yeah. in the VP's office. Um and then number three was Kamala. Ah oh, God, no we nailed it. One. Nailed it. I like it. There's also one I didn't include because it talks about oil, but I think given the other, like, I think it would have been too obvious, but given the topics we've had today, I want to read this one as well because it's fucking hilarious. (laughs) She's uh, responding about, you know, Russian oil, Nord Stream 2. As it relates to what we need to do domestically, as well as what we need to do in terms of this issue generally, we have, as the president said, to reevaluate what we're doing in terms of strategic oil reserves here in the United States to make sure that it will not have an impact or we can mitigate the impact on the American consumer. Oh, wow. Wait, wait. It's oh. like she has a word count on a book report. <laughs> Dude. Oh, my God. So, so I saw this. I saw this clip. Do you know what the question was? No. The question was, do you support banning Roy- Russian oil imports? <laughs> Just stalling for this is this is a filibuster. Can you? She didn't even address the question. No, nope. Didn't even didn't even address just words, 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 words. Imagine think it's her job every day to be surrounded by the administration's policy on a variety of things, and she goes on a big morning show, and that's what she comes up with. Amazing. It's it almost amazing. It's, it's like if they had an AI listen to two hundred hours of an AI. <laughs> so now it's just like saying random it's like, words. It's like not a bad politician. It's like a derivative version of a bad politician. Yeah, exactly. Acting how a bad politician would act. Like, like you know, if she couldn't answer the question, she could have just said, "Look, all options are on the table. We're, uh, you know, we're evaluating what those options are." Period. But, period. End of end, end of, of sentence. And like you could have done it that, but she can't just do that because she's such a horrible politician. <laughs> it's literally the worst. <laughs> Again, I remind everyone, she didn't make it to Iowa. No. In that damn presidential Sad. primary. She didn't even make it to Iowa. I don't think she's going to make it to Iowa next time nope. either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, all right. So let's get to this interview. This is Attorney General Mark Burnovich. I want to welcome to the program very interesting guy. He's a candidate for Senate out in Arizona. He's the current Attorney General, Mark Burnovich. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks so much, guys. Listen, we've been hearing a lot about you out there. Um, obviously a wide open primary race and a seat that Republicans absolutely have to have in order to get the majority back in the United States Senate in 2022. How are things going? 
Well, things are going really well. Um, you know, I had never done polling, uh, you know, because I'm really fairly new to politics. I've never done polling before I started running for the Senate. So now you know, everyone tells you, oh, you got to have a polling because donors and other people want to know how you're doing. So by an objective standard of polling, I consistently have a, a large double digit lead. I have great name ID um, and maybe uh, by a subjective standard, when I talk to my mom and all of her friends, they're telling me I'm doing a great job. They're all going to vote for me. So <laughs> I, like politically or, you know, um, from the Senate side, everything's great. And I mean, I think that, you know, once again, I think it's important. You know, I grew up here in Arizona. It's important when we have candidates as conservatives that can articulate and defend our values, we win. And I remind folks all the time that even though people like Tom Steyer spent millions of dollars attacking me in 2018, I got more votes than Cinema or McSally. And so it's important right now. Mark Kelly is very beatable, but we need someone that understands Arizona and that can stand up to the onslaught that's coming from the far left. So you, a lot of news was made last week and, and the governor confirming what everybody already knew that he was not going to be running for Senate basically means that the field is pretty much set. And as you said, you, you seem to have had a, a lead in the polls up till now. Do you, what do you credit that to? Obviously your campaign, but, but you're a sitting attorney general. You've been pretty active in the state as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd like to I, low expectations. I think that that's probably why, <laughs> you know, no, but, but in, in all seriousness, I, I would look, I, I grew up here in Arizona. I am a first generation American and, you know, my parents lived through World War II. They lived through communism. And I always say that if your family has lived history, not just studied it, you have this unique appreciation for how fragile liberty and freedom is. And Ronald Reagan used to talk about the fact that it's never more than one generation away for extinction. So that's what's driven me in all my career choices. There's being a gang prosecutor, a federal prosecutor, who was working at a place called the Goldwater Institute, you know, writing, you know, amicus briefs or fighting for property rights. And so when I got elected AG, I had never run or got elected for anything. And so as AG, I always said, I'm going to be the people's lawyer. I'm going to be the guy, the middle-class public school kid that stands up for people that don't have a voice. And so whether it's taking on, you know, uh, drug cartels or taking on, you know, people engaged in human trafficking or, you know, fighting companies that rip off consumers. I'm very proud of the fact that we have a record amount of restitution to Arizona victims. And so I have a record. And I think the fact that people know me, even when they don't always agree with me out there, they understand I'm a straight shooter. This is what he believes. I believe very strongly in federalism, the rule of law and limited government. Um, but at the same time, if you break the law, if, if you're a, a bad guy or bad gal and you break the law, we're going to come after you. There's got to be consequences. Yep. No question about it. I think most of our listeners probably first heard your name when it was associated with you know court battles, basically, Supreme Court in particular. You've done a lot of work in that, in that regard, suing uh, the Obama administration, suing the Biden administration. Um, I think your biggest probably noteworthy win that people remember is, is the Obamacare issue. Yeah. You know, I, I am just a quick anecdote or story for, uh, I'm very proud of the fact that I've argued at the Supreme court numerous times. I always say or joke that, um, you know, I was a real lawyer, a real prosecutor, a litigator, you know, before I became AG. So, um, that makes me different than a lot of other people in government or politics. Or whatever. You've done the, you've done the job is what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> well, but more important, I'm going to tell you just a quick, once again, a quick anecdote. So 
two weeks ago, I literally was arguing with the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, you know, we tried to inter- the Joe B- Biden administration, President Biden tried to withdraw the public charge rule. The public charge rule is a common sense statute that's been on the books for 100 years. Different administrations have promulgated rules as to how it should be interpreted. But it basically is that if you are here and you're a non-citizen, you have to be able to support yourself. The Trump administration went through the rule and commenting process and said, you cannot be on welfare public benefits for more than one year of your first three years here. Common sense, what I, I call um, the de-incentivization, or we don't want to incentivize people coming here yeah. for the wrong reasons, right? right. And so you know, we, are, we are land of immigrants. We're not supposed to be the land of the welfare state, right? And so I just remember as a high school kid going to visit the Supreme Court and you walk through and you kind of shuffle through the back and they give you like, it's almost like being in a you know, church or synagogue where you got to like be quiet and you know, you're, you're there and it's like you're, you're shuffling through and there's so much like awe and respect for that institution. I remember seeing, you know, this John Marshall statute and, you know, um, I guess if you were woke, you'd say a bunch of old dead white guy statutes right at the Supreme Court. But it was like this thing I was like totally in awe of. And then I'm thinking to myself, as I go up there and I put my legal pad down, getting ready for the justices to come in, you know, they come in and they're like the, oi, oi, you know, God bless the United States in this court. And, you know, I look over and you've got Biden's solicitor general and the solicitors is deputy solicitor. You know, they wear those like, what do they call it? Evening suits or whatever the, um, you know, like the tuxedos, right? The penguin suits, right? right. So they're there. And I kind of look over and I look at the justices are coming in and I thought to myself, what a country, man. It's like, a cliche. <laughs> I'm sitting there saying to myself, you know, I grew up, my, my language in my home was Serbo-Croatian, like I said, I'm first generation, a public school kid and being in awe of this place. And here I am standing in front of these justices looking over and there's the president of the United States lawyer. I sued the president of the United States and I'm not in jail. I haven't been arrested. I mean, it's, you know, it's like, it's crazy. Like only in this country, it's a Republic if we can keep it. And I just, I, I'm so, so fortunate and blessed. And, you know, even last, last year I argued, there's literally a case called Brnovich v. DNC that dealt with election integrity yeah. where we sued to defend election integrity laws. And I, I made the joke, I was making the joke with my, my oldest sister about this is like, it's kind of crazy because I remember being in law school and you would like curse and you'd be so pissed at like these cases. Like, how do you say that name? What do you do? And like the professor calls in and you're stumbling over the words. I'm like, there is a whole, one of the, no matter what happens in my life, there's going to be a whole generation of law students that are going to be like, how the hell do you pronounce it? What's this guy's name? You know, and it's like, Stumbling so I got your last name. <laughs> yes. I've got, I've got that legacy at a minimum. So I'm, I'm happy about that, but I love that. Well, what, so what do you think, what do you take away as your most important accomplishment before the court? Uh, before the court? Yeah. Um, not screwing up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Finishing know, all serious. your senses and not splitting your yeah, pants. I, mean, I will tell you what, it's so funny. Cause like, before the Burdovich v. DNC argument, you know, our lawyers and we, you know, there's like all these DC lawyers and they're like, like, they're all kind of freaked out because I'm not like part of that, like, you know, solicitor, like the, I didn't go to Harvard and go to Yale on this stuff. And they've got a certain view of things. And I remember we did a moot court like two weeks before. And those guys were like, Oh my God, they're freaking out. And then they, they joke around. It's almost like, um, you know, uh, Jack Johnson going to the crossroads or whatever. They're like, I go home one weekend and I come back and it's like, oh my gosh, I know everything about all the election law cases. Like, how did you learn all this? And eh, so, you know, you learn to focus. It's almost like cramming for a test. And my, I was really honestly worried that, that I would say something just like really stupid or <laughs> that I would have one of those moments, like, you know, where you, you know, just did this like, you know, terrible in that moment. And, I, and so not screwing up, 
was a big accomplishment. Yeah, no, I, I hear that. It's an intimidating place for those of you who have not been in it. It's, uh, it's an intimidating place when you have justices staring down at you. You have all the opportunity to screw up if you want to. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so let me ask you this, because you've been dealing with, uh, you've been running the campaign for a while. You've been out talking to a lot of voters. What do you think right now is motivating the, uh, the conservative voters in Arizona more than anything else? Well, I think the, the thing that concerns not only just conservative voters, but I think voters in general, um, other than maybe like the far left progressives is, is security. I say it all comes back to security. Mm-hmm. So when you're, when you're talking to folks at your grocery store, or your mom's friends from church or, you know, out at events, talking to people, it seems like, you know, there's like themes, consistent themes. One is obviously what's going on in the border is crazy. And, right. you know, there's, you know, we have multiple lawsuits against the Biden administration. They decriminalize and incentivize that. And I think people worry about that impact. Not only record amount of fentanyl coming into this country, cartel seizing control of it. So that affects the security of, of people in their neighborhoods, you know, physically. And then you think about security, like what I call economic security, where, you know, you talk to anyone nowadays, um, asked to pay for gas, gas is record prices. And, you know, that impacts the cost of milk, you know, the cost of meat, the cost of, you know, what you're putting in your kids' lunches. So this, there's, there's this anxiety that people feel there's something wrong. And economically they worry like, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to, you know, afford gas next week? And, you know, I had someone come up to me saying that, um, you know, waitress, we my wife and I were out and, and she said, I'm, I'm spending my whole first hour working just to pay my gas to get here. And so, you know, people aren't stupid. They understand that. And I think that, you know, even when it comes to election security, people want to have confidence in the election process and the election results. And so to me, it's all about security, um, whether it's personal security, whether it's economic security or it's security uh, confidence in our institutions and that they are indeed secure and that there's not some sort of agenda that's being advanced by, you know, DOJ or anyone else. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and obviously that's been a big issue in Arizona and we've all followed the various uh, views of what happened there in 2020 and beyond. Is this, I mean, one of the big challenges that conservatives have had here over the last year and a half is how to box that up and with confidence proceed to the next, right? And Obviously, a lot of that work is being done by the Biden administration, as you said, with the terrible things that they've been doing to this country. But the other piece is getting our own knitting in order and making sure that we have conservatives turning out in droves and having faith and trust that those elections will, in fact, uh, you know, be satisfied. And so where do you think we are in that process in Arizona? Well, I we historically as a country have resolved our differences, you know, through two primary methods in the constitution. And that's by talking about them using our first amendment rights. We know the radical left is trying to, you know, dox people and cancel people to stop that from happening. And the other way is through the ballot box. And so people have to have confidence in the process. And so we were just talking about Brnovich v. DNC. You know, I, I would submit to you and anyone listening to the podcast that no one did more for election integrity in 2020 than I did. So when the Democrats, the radical left, tried to extend ballot curing period in Arizona, I stopped. I went to federal court and stopped them. Now, in Pennsylvania, they didn't. And that's why you had some of the chaos in some of those places. When they tried to stop and put on hold our limitations on ballot harvesting and out of precinct voting, literally, that's why the cases are named Bernovich v. DNC. Yeah, right. I went to the Supreme Court and that opened up the door and the opportunity for other states like Georgia and other states to enact election integrity measures, which I think are important. And I think our side as conservatives, 
the left has created this false, you know, uh, choice, uh, you know, uh, dichotomy that, that somehow you either have to have secure elections or you have to have voter turnout. And, and the reality is they're not, they're not, you know, antithesis. They're not the opposites of each other. And I, one of the things I loved going back to Supreme Court, you talk about the moment, this probably would be my proudest moment is that any courtroom is that um, we're arguing in our briefs, we had put in there in 2004, there was a bipartisan commission that did a report on election integrity. And the co-author of that report said, you know, the greatest threat to election integrity is ballot harvesting, third party handling ballots. And I asked people like, do you know who said that? Does, do people know who wrote those words? The worst president in U.S. history, yep, other Jimmy than Carter. Biden's replaced that, right? It was Jimmy, James Earl Carter, right? Yeah. Jimmy Carter said that. So even 15 years ago, the left, the Democrats recognized the importance of election integrity and how that mattered to the process. And so we as conservatives, the process matters. How you do things do matter. And so as a result of that case, that allowed places like Georgia to pass, you know, measures that protect the integrity process. And one of the things that I think our side doesn't do a good enough job of is pushing back when the left tries to set a narrative. So when yeah. Georgia started enacting those measures, they allowed the left, you know, the, you know, the classic um, Sal Alinsky, you know, defining and demonizing your opponent, they let the left set the terms of that. And so what you happened was people were talking, oh my gosh, they're, they're, you know, they're eliminating this voting and they're doing this or that. And instead, you know, Georgia and conservatives should have been like, well, wait a minute, New Jersey, you guys on the left made a big deal when New Jersey has nine days early voting. Georgia has 18. Arizona has nearly a month. In places like Arizona, you have no excuse early voting. So in, same thing in Georgia. You know where they don't have that is, you know, or, or uh, drop boxes in places like Delaware. I mean, right. um, you know, in the Northeast, you have to have, you know, in Massachusetts, Connecticut, these other states, you have to have some bureaucrat approve um, whether you can vote, you know, by mail. I mean, so the left is so hypocritical and it's important for us to have the facts and the evidence to push back. And so it's important, I think, as we go forward, we've got an ongoing investigation into 2020. So, you know, as a prosecutor, I'm always limited what I can say, but I can assure everyone I realize how serious it is. And I also realize that we have to protect the integrity of the process. So, you know, we all know what happened in 2020. So the key is, well, what are we going to do for uh, um, voter verification? Like, you know, when, when people do mail in their ballots to ensure that it's the per person returning it, that's um, that person. So signature verification, voter ID laws, um, you know, making sure that um, there's there's integrity in the process of keeping the ballots and there's a chain of custody when those ballots are being counted. Uh, you know, so there are things that we can and we should be doing. And those are the things I think we need to be talking about instead of running down rabbit holes that sometimes yeah. make us look non-serious about these issues. Because this is a serious issue and it should be a serious process. Um, and we need to understand that. But, you know, we can be conservative, but not crazy. Yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad to hear you say that because that's exactly right. And And there is a way of going about improving the chances of election integrity by taking proactive measures like you were talking about. Uh, rather than complaining about them after the fact. So no, I look, I appreciate the work that you've done on that. You know, let me turn the page to COVID for a minute because I'd be interested to get the the sense in in Arizona how this has played out. Judging from the Phoenix Open, uh, looks like you guys have put that in the rear of your mirror. Yeah, and and I'm I'm very proud of the fact that we filed the first lawsuit in the country against the Biden administration when they tried to impose um, what we believed were unconstitutional and illegal, you know, mandates when it came yeah. to vaccines. And, you know, it's funny, and this is the whole disingenuous of the left and even 
politics, even on some of my opponents in the primary where, you know, I don't use notes. I, I know what I believe and I speak from the heart and from my brain. Excuse me. And I was out at some event speaking for like an hour talking about the constitutionality of vaccine mandates, why they were legal, why we shouldn't have them. And someone played or someone recorded, like I got some question and they, they, they clipped like last 18 seconds and they sent it to the local media. And so they're like, Oh my gosh, Bernovich is questioning vaccine efficiency, whatever it was. And it, it wasn't true. What I literally said was said, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a scientist, but I, I am pro constitution. I always keep my constitution with me. I am pro constitution. And where in the constitution does it give the president the authority to have to inject something in your body? And I said, the stuff is all over the board and, you know, I want to be careful. So your podcast doesn't be canceled because I'm not <laughs> anti-science, you know, I'm not anti-science. Right. So, but, but You're the I least was, dangerous thing that's been on this program, I got to be honest. Yeah, with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so no, so, so I said, if you accept this premise, you know, you open the door to all sorts of under the guise of public health, the government doing all sorts of stuff. And so, you know, they run a story and my poor mom who lived in world war II and communism, you know, she loves her some Wheel of Fortune and Price is Right. And so the Wheel of Fortune's on a night here. It's on right for the local news. And they run this story right after Wheel of Fortune that they're like, <laughs> they play that clip. And then they say, Brnovich wants to get people killed. And they have some doctor come on saying, oh my God, he's going to get people killed. And it's like, it's not true. So they take stuff out of context. And we had a, and I'm, if I'm droning on, it's not me, but we had a press conference and the police and fire unions locally actually joined in our lawsuit because they don't, they, as contractors, they don't want to have to have these mandates yep. employees. And one of the reports, the other press conference are all done with it. People can Google this or not Google. I've sued them, but whatever they can search it, right. Their search engine, right. Um, the tech guys aren't fans of mine. Running, you're running out of people. You haven't sued attorney general. I know. I, know. <laughs> I, I, I am never going to win the Mr. Congeniality award, man. I think that's why that the, the, the cake eaters in DC don't like me. Cause they're like, Oh my God, Bernovich is too independent. He's too much of a cowboy. People have said that. I'm like, I, I don't mind being a cowboy, man. You know, it's a, it's our great Arizona tradition, but um, I literally, so we're at this press conference, this reporter who's left he's trying to trap me and and you can see the exchange and so he's trying to ask me if i've been vaccinated and i'm like it's no one's business when did our public health stuff become or our private health information become public and i asked him i said um well if you had an std and there's like oh and all the reporters get all mad like you can't ask and i was like no 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 once you accept the premise, hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. you asked the reporter if he had an std oh yeah you should see the clip because i'm like <laughs> I like, no, no. So, so he's like, and they're like, and all these other reports, that's ridiculous. And they're like, they're so insulted by it. I'm like, no, no, because if you accept the notion that the government or the guys of public health can require you to do something or inject something in your body, then, you know, where does that end? In the seventies and eighties, we had sexual disease outbreaks in this country. And so does that mean if you're working at Boeing or a federal contractor, the federal government, Joe Biden can tell you not to have sex with another human being in order for public health. I mean, if you're a if you're a defense contractor and um, you're you're out there um, uh, for public health that they're worried about like obesity and heart disease, can they tell you that you can't eat cheeseburgers and pizza anymore? I mean, seriously, that's what people need to understand. And I think our side as conservatives, it is important and incumbent on us to point out the absurdity of what the left wants to do and the logical conclusions or where ultimately that leads to. And that's what folks need to understand, especially the younger folks need to say, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, you can, there, there's a reason why we have a constitution and government's powers are limited. 
Yeah, I love that, by the way. I mean, just asking a reporter if he's got an STD is just like, that's a great, that's great work. It's great. It did, it, it did go viral, whatever you want to call it. So there's like a million views of it out there. Somewhere. I love it. I love it. Okay. All right. So I got three big questions for you that all of our audience wants to know. The, the first one is if you could plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? I tell you what, I, I make the joke that um, I've swallowed a lot of aggression along with a lot of pizza. And that's actually a John Candy line from Stripes. If people are old enough to remember Stripes, one of my all-time favorite movies. Of course, movies. yeah. Uh, no, so I, I, uh, it's got to be pizza. And uh, there's, a, there's a place in town here called Grimaldi's, and they're originally from New York. And uh, I, I love those guys. It's great pizza. But um, oh, I also love me some Chicago deep dish pizza, too. So it would be pizza. I wouldn't have to worry about cholesterol or fat or anything. So, yeah. No, I, I think would, that's would, right. I think that's right. I'm glad you've gotten out your eye on some good pizza joints. Cause when I was going to school in Arizona state, I don't remember pizza standing out as a, some of the best stuff they had there, but I don't really remember much about it anyway. So. Uh. Well, oh, I'll tell you what, if you're old enough to remember, this is, this is true. And I'm very proud of this. This is the kind of stuff that people, your political consultants say, Oh my gosh, don't talk about that. But I'm very proud of the fact that the dash in used to be this um, dive Mexican restaurant right by Arizona state that they've torn down now. Yeah. I remember that the dash. Yeah. Well, I held I held the pitcher beer pitcher drinking record there for like thirty years. Like You're I was kidding. the guy. I mean, yeah, I mean, so I, I still I got skills. I got ASU skills, as they say. ASU <laughs> education. Was that the place? Was that the place that was like penny pitcher pitchers until the first person had to go to the bathroom? Oh, actually, there it was not penny. Um, it, but the Cannery Row had something that like something the Cannery Row, and I I wasn't inducted into the Cannery Row Hall of Fame before they tore that place down too. So <laughs> I got that going for me. So I don't know in the Senate, I don't know if McConnell's guys do like the you know uh, shotgunning beers or anything. But I'll tell you what, I'm willing to like be the champion of the Republican side on anything related to slamming beer. So. Well, you're going to screw around and get the variety program in in Arizona with a challenge like that because that's yeah. that's just our game. <laughs> I love yeah. it. All right. Uh, number two, uh, this is, if you never got into public service at all, what do you think you'd be doing with your life? Uh, um, I, I, you know what? I love music. I love music. And you're like a big Grateful Dead guy, right? I, I'm a huge Grateful Dead fan. In fact, uh, the Grateful Dead is part of the inspiration for my political career, whatever. I always say that uh, the Grateful Dead never uses a set list. I tell people that you might hear me do playing in the band. It might be a five minute version or a 20 minute version. It depends on how Jerry Garcia is feeling. You know what I mean? And uh, I used to tell that story in the campaign side that like the, I would be like, if I was out talking to someone to be like, Oh yeah, you know, I, people call me like the Jerry Garcia of Arizona politics, but like some donors on some event, they're like, Oh my God, he's a drug addict. You know, I was like, no, no, no. Like the, like the freewheeling Jerry, you know, like just, you know, so yeah, I'd like to think that I'd be in a band touring somewhere, you know? Yeah, that's a great answer. I don't think we've had in a band touring somewhere, but that is definitely up there in terms of what you ought to be doing. I love that. Uh, all right, band. This is the third and final question. It goes into your sort of mentality of how you approach motives in life. And it's whether what goes to motivate you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. Let me explain it for a minute. The thrill of victory person is the glasses half full, sunny optimist charging up the hill like you know, getting it done because they want to get it done. The agony defeat person is somebody who's every setback in life. They wear like a backpack, right? It's like the more it's like the Michael Jordan figure who just vows never to repeat failure. And that's what motivates them. Where do you find yourself on the spectrum there? 
Well, it's interesting you use that glass analogy because I've joked before that, you know, I'm Eastern European. So when we, when someone gives us a glass half full, we don't say the glass is half full or half empty. We say, why the hell did you put this in this glass? You know, what's going on here? Like, you know, I don't want to drink this. I want to drink something else. No. So uh, anyway, I, I, I will tell you this is that I, if you remember the Jim, the Jimmy Connors, the tennis player. Yeah. Um, one of the things I heard Jimmy Connors one time say is that he hates losing more than he likes winning. Yeah. And um, I, I think that as a prosecutor and, you know, as the state's AG, I always tell people when I hire new people, lawyers and everything else, that's what they say. We don't count success in terms of wins or losses or how many years someone gets to prison or settlements. We always say it has justice been done. When you're the government, you have to count success in terms of how justice has been done. I know sometimes that's difficult to quantify, but that, that to me is always the, the big you know, thing that we have to do when you're the government. Mm-hmm. Now, me and my personal life, look, I mean, I am a public school, Eastern European, where when I, you know, people still make fun of my last name and people can't pronounce it. And so when you said the Michael Jordan thing, there is always a chip on my shoulder because I will never, ever, um, I don't want to give anyone the satisfaction of saying that they beat me. And I will do everything I can not to lose. Yeah. And now you can go wander around law schools telling them how to pronounce your name too, by the way. So they've made you. No, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be like the secret shopper and I'll sit in the back of the courtroom and then I'll be like, wait a minute. I think I know that. And then I'll pretend, Hey, I heard this guy was great. You know, and I think this is the way he pronounces his name, you know, so. You all should vote for that guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, attorney general, where do we find you? If our listeners want to help out, where do they get you? My website is burnoforaz.com, B-R-N-O-F-O-R-A-Z.com. And I will tell you for full disclosure, when I've been on Hannity's radio show, he kind of makes fun of our that website. And he said, it's the worst website in the history of politics. And my sister's like, one of my sisters like, why does Hannity always make fun of our name? And I was like, no, no, it's good. Because then people remember it, you know, Burnovich and Burno. But if you actually type in Mark B for AZ.com, you also will be directed to the website, but it's you got multiple ways, multiple yeah. ways to get you. And I, and I will tell you, one of the things I'm proudest of, and I, and I was involved in this design, I'm sure there's not, but this is the way we actually just started this just today, whatever. We've got t-shirts on sale that look like Grateful Dead t-shirts that are called oh, the Burno Tour. You know, like dad used to sell like the winter tour, the summer tour. Oh, yeah. We've got the, we've got the Burno 2022 winter tour shirts that just showed up on the website. <laughs> nice. Very cool. All right. Well, listen, Attorney General Mark Brnovich, good luck out there. Keep us updated. Uh, Look forward to hearing from you here in the near future. Thanks. Thank you very much. Take care. So I guess my big takeaway from Brnovich is he sets the beer chugging records at ASU in a lot of different places. That's got to be a tough record. Yeah, that's not an easy thing to do. No, I mean, I went there. I honed my craft and there's no way you could get, you know, the one thing that he didn't. So there was one bar we were talking about where he's his name was on the on the wall for like three years for mm-hmm. setting this beer. but i think it's the place that also had this game where they would invite you know everybody to come have like i don't know it's like maybe a dollar pitcher but it was less than that it was i want to say it was like a 10 cent pitcher Ooh. but the whole thing is that at eight o'clock like the doors closed the first person that had to go to the bathroom ended this special oh yeah yeah oh man you that know, is awesome I, so we had this at, a great at iu too it was called bladder busters bladder busters yeah. yeah just a fantastic idea and it was but like I, I was not fit for that game like i didn't go to it because i figured i would be the one that ruined it. either that or like peed my pants right? so, so without telling on anyone uh i had a buddy in college who we would go to bladder busters the guy 
would hide a pitcher. Oh, and go under the table. Uh huh. Fill that. I mean, that's a man yeah. of the people. He's yeah. like, I will well, continue he, he this little price. Right. He doesn't want to break it for the for the people. <laughs> no, I mean, I it would ha- I'd have to have a catheter or something like that. You will all. never find uh, people more in solidarity. Yeah. Than at a bladder busters. Yep. No, was, I it, know. was this a Kilroy's? Uh, home of the backhander. I don't know. Um, I'm, I, you know, I don't. Let me make a wild guess. This is in Indianapolis. It's not in, in Bloomington. Okay. Or are you going to make I was fun say, of Bloomington one story now? Building? One story building. I'm just a guess. Dude, I had a rough one. We lost to Purdue. Yeah, it's, I know. Uh, pretty sad. Yeah. Well, listen, fellas, I'm getting really geared up for Hack Madness. We're going to put a lot of thought into this this week. We'll have some announcements on Thursday about how we are going to unveil it. But in the meantime, get pumped because it's going down. Yeah, and we're we're open to suggestions. You know, drop who you think was a big hack. We're gonna we're gonna have a, a very strong field. Very strong. I get a feeling, and uh, it was another very strong program, gentlemen. Absolute banger, if I may say so myself. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. <laughs>